Welcome to People Data Insights. This is your host, Paul Ryman, founder and managing partner of Novo Insights LLC, where we help people organizations make a bigger impact in their organization. Thanks for joining once again. I'm excited uh, to bring you part two of our three-part series on pay transparency. Uh, so last episode, we met with Chris Ward, a partner at Foley and Lardner, to understand sort of the law, what's changing, how to think about uh, compliance and you know, obeying the law in the various jurisdictions. Today, we're meeting with Justin Hampton, uh, who is the founder of Compensation Tool, um, which is built for comp practitioners to be more efficient in their work and managing the market and understanding the market. Um, Justin is a, a well-known presence on LinkedIn and on World at Work and in helping to guide the thinking around market data management and compensation practices. So I'm excited to, to discuss with him today kind of what he's seeing in the world of pay transparency, particularly around job posting transparency, as he has built a product known as Squirrel, which we'll talk about the naming of that uh, in this episode, that monitors those postings and understands kind of what's happening uh, with job postings out there in the market. I'll apologize a little bit now. Uh, when this was recorded, I had a little bit of a cold. For those who know me, I live in a home with a couple of little heartbeats that tend to bring the viral spiral into our home. So apologies in advance for sounding a little bit different. Um, sometimes we call it my husky voice, but uh, I think you'll, you'll see past that. Appreciate your patience. Um, but I uh, didn't want to delay the conversation with Justin, as this is obviously a very timely topic in the world of compensation. So here is my conversation with Justin. Hey, Justin, how are you? Hey, Paul, how's it going? It's uh, it's a great day here in Chicago, for sure. Uh, actually, somewhat spring-like in its feeling, which is uh, fantastic for uh, the month of February. So, you, that's everyone I've worse. talked to today. It's been snowing and sleeting and iced over, so that's that's lucky. Not for me. Not for me. Well, thanks thanks for joining, uh, Justin. I do feel like you're as close to perhaps as a celebrity as the compensation function gets. Um, <laughs> But for those who are listeners who are not sort of compensation geeks like we are, um, why don't we start with just tell us a little bit about what you do. Tell us who Justin is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I mean, to your earlier point, I can't get away from saying kind of a, a comp person. Uh, but really, I would say it's really someone that likes data and solving problems that somehow just found himself doing it uh, in comp. It probably... Could have just as easily been a finance or an operations job, but you know, in 2008, when I, after I'd been laid off and I was really trying to find a job, it ended up being comp, and uh, I've stuck with that for the last 15 years now. Um, but yeah, so I've been, you know, as a practitioner for 15 years, and uh, came up with a weird idea of kind of trying to make my own software company and uh, called Comp Tool, and uh, now we're. We've got that, a data solution called Squirrel that's pulling data from pay transparency and job postings. And uh, we're, I am an entrepreneur uh, and a comp space person, and it's all been kind of by accident. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, comp, nobody picks compensation when they're at the uh, you know, fourth grade career fair. That's a very lonely table. It, it tend to be, <laughs> tends to be a function that picks you somewhere later in life. And uh, it's bit you a few ways, not only as a practitioner, but also as you know, building solutions for others to use within the comp space is like a whole new level of comp geek for sure. It's, it's, there's a lot of fun flexibility and freedom to it and a, a lot of opportunities to 
make things better and also to <laughs> make a lot of mistakes along the way. That's the fun of entrepreneurship. So, <laughs> I mean, so, you know, you've, you've got a large LinkedIn following. There are people certainly who know CompTool and, and know of your work. Um, so before we jump into sort of the content of this, I want to give the audience just a little bit of a chance to hear a little bit more from Justin the Human, you know, the person uh, behind it. So I've just got a couple of questions that humanize you a bit, and then a few standard ones that I ask everybody who joins <laughs> the show here. <clears throat> um, so the first, if, if I'm going to give you a time machine, like I am Dr. Brown, you are Marty, and I give you the time machine for a day, are you going to the future or are you going to the past? Oh, I'm going back. Um, right. I, I, back in time. Back in time. So to revisit, is there a specific moment you are going back to or just in general you'd want to you know, take the, take the hop through, through history. Oh, do I, do I, how many stops do I get to make? Cause I would really like to fight a dinosaur. I mean, that's pretty far back. Yeah. I actually realized the flaw <laughs> in my logic is I'm saying you have a day to use it, but what is, what does a day mean? If you've got a time machine, <laughs> you could probably take I'm... as many stops as you want and I would never know. <laughs> so maybe so it sounds like you'd work your way all the way back to sort of dinosaurs and sort of, you know, inch your way forward, uh, taking I... the full extent of the time machine day. I mean, it'd be kind of cool to go back and just see how much, like, take a second from every hundred years and see what's happening from the same spot. Oh, that would be quite the TikTok video, like, right? Like, you, <laughs> exactly. you would no longer be a cop nerd. You would be a social media, like, maven at that point. I'm sure you just have that to get the good popular. songs for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, Back in Time was from Back to the Future. Why wouldn't you use that, right? But all right, that's a that's a good one. All right, that see see, I'm liking the way that this quick uh, question <laughs> segment is kicking off. So well, well, I'm going to stick with sort of the time and space avenue here. Then, so like, what's the next place on your vacation wish list? Like, if you, you know, I don't. We can always tell stories about where we've been, what we've done. But like, what's the next thing you're like, boy, I can't wait to get to insert this place. Uh, actually, yeah. So it's one that I've, it's, it's kind of a bucket list trip though. It's a non-specific bucket list, but, um, there is a, well, I'm going to fly down to Antigua, Guatemala, and there is a, um, a hike that you can do that I think it's about a 10 mile hike or so, but it's actually up alongside an active volcano. And one of the things I've always wanted to see and have pictures of is, a volcano erupting. I mean, your your actual cone volcano, like the kind that you drew when you were, you know, in grade school with the red lava coming down it. Uh, but it's uh, it's called. I think it's called uh, Volcano de Fuego, which is like volcano of fire. I mean, uh, it's a pretty specific <laughs> term, I suppose. Yeah. At that point, you know what you're getting. Yeah, but um, no, it's it looks like a really fantastic trip. I've, I would love to kind of get down to Guatemala. Uh, and then, you know, I've being from Seattle for the last ten years, really always kind of enjoyed the hiking, and so. Being now that I'm down here in Mexico, it's you, uh, you know it's an hour flight to kind of go check off a bucket list. So that's that's the next wish list uh, trip that I've got planned. Well, don't get too close to the baking soda <laughs> and uh, and vinegar as they mix together because right. some of us still need compensation solutions in the world. Um, <laughs> all right, and then the, uh, the last before the two standard ones. Um, assuming we meet your dietary needs elsewhere, right? So imagine that I've like implanted you with something that gives you all the vitamins and minerals that you need. Pick one food and one food only that's part of your diet every single day. I mean, I'm already pretty close to pizza, so. <laughs> <laughs> You've already made I this just, decision and it, it I, happens to be meeting your dietary needs. Just the I same. Mean, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good decision that I've made, but I do live next door to a pizza place. So it's, there you go. Uh, I mean, I'm not far off, right? I mean, I've got 
you know, an eight-year-old and a three-year-old in the house. So I feel like pasta is the food that everybody eats, right? Because that's the only thing that an eight-year-old and a three-year-old will eat reliably. <laughs> so yeah, kind of no the same spot, whether I want to or not. But but I will say, like, just to kind of, you know, stir the pot, I'm, I'm going to put pineapples on it. Ah. <laughs> now, so now this is really off script, but like, you know, I'm a, I'm a proud Chicagoan. So please tell me it's not like paper thin pizza you have to fold in half. No, no, it, it's, okay. it's an actual oven. It's a, it's a, the clay ovens are <laughs> oh, okay. right. wood that's, fire. Yeah. That's fancy pizza. Uh, <laughs> cool. All right. And then here's my standard too. So on a scale of one to 10, how much do you love data? Oh man, I, it's a, it's a mixed relationship at times. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, it's a 10 when I love it and it's a zero when I hate it, but I would say generally speaking, like I'm, you know, eight, probably at eight. See, I'm actually finding the people who love data the most are maybe a little bit self-deprecating about their love for data. Like our, you know, our mutual <laughs> friend, Brian Briscoe, I think gave himself a nine. I'm like, come on, like <laughs> that's a 10. And then, I, you know, the last episode was with a lawyer. Let's be honest. Lawyers are not exactly known for their love of data. And I think he gave himself a seven. It's like, give me a break. <laughs> like, if, if he's a seven, you're more than an eight. But, uh, you know, I think there's just room for interpretation there. Um, so now you mentioned earlier, like, you didn't pick comp, but you've been sort of a data junkie. When did you first know you were a data junkie? Like, is that a college thing, a childhood thing? Uh, when you first hit the workforce thing? Like, when did data, when did the data bug bite you? You know, I think it was actually, this, I mean, this has to be what it was. I was actually, one of my college jobs was working for FEMA Region 6, and I was in the file room, and they needed a way to kind of be able to figure out where to store, grab the files, retrieve them quickly. So I, I created an access database for the file room <laughs> and, and uh, kind of was like, oh, that made my job a lot easier. And so I think after that kind of, learning a little about relational databases and kind of, you know, the power of a nice interface. That was where I was like, all right. I mean, if I'm going to work a database into a, a file clerk, it's probably something there. <laughs> it says something. I mean, when you said FEMA region six, I'm like, there's like a TV show title. And then you start talking about databases in the file room. I like, got, oh, that's not a TV show anymore. <laughs> well, that part, I mean, that could be part of it, but it was literally, I was literally 40 feet underground in a, in a bunker. <laughs> For the, you know, eight hours a day. Uh, wow. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, we've been wanting to talk about this, Justin, but maybe that explains something. <laughs> you spend that much time underground. Wow. Anyway. All right. Well, hopefully that helps people understand who you are a little bit, uh, aside from the content and the tools you create. So thanks for indulging me a little bit there. Yeah, it's fun. always fun to get to know people. Um, so pay transparency is the thing right now, right? It's, it's not just a buzzword real things are happening, um, you know, both legislatively, both in terms of how companies are responding to it, and a lot of inquiry about, well, what's really going to happen with all of this? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, to the listeners out there, like the last episode highlighted some of the laws and compliance things going on, how to think about that. But today we're going to talk about, like, what are we seeing? What are companies doing, particularly with the latest, you know, batch, if you will, of transparency changes, which is all around posting ranges in... Yeah jobs. Um, you know, you are the guy in terms of looking at that space. You've been looking at this for a while. You've built a data product around it. So I guess give us the opening foray about what are you seeing broadly or summarize your thoughts on what you're seeing in the world of kind of posted, you know, pay transparency. 
I would say if I had to pick one word, it was really, what are we seeing? I think it's acceptance. Um, mm. Because there have been a lot, there was, I, I look back at old articles, kind of and old things that you see on Google and, you know, CNN about companies that were really fighting this pay transparency before it went into effect in New York City, uh, before it went into effect in California, um, Washington State. Uh, don't see too much about it you know, arguments against in Colorado, interestingly. Um, but really New York is one of the big ones where I think people were really kind of dug their heels in and said, this is, you know, anti-competitive. It's not, it's, this is going to harm businesses. And what I have seen is, that, and I don't think we have seen that that really be the case. Um, I think what we have found is that companies will do a number of different ways. They will approach the law in a number of different ways to be compliant. And they'll post, you know, a whole range, a narrow range, a single data point, or a very wide range. Uh, very few companies are just fully non-compliant. Um, and so I think really what we've seen is the fear has subsided. It's become much more commonplace and companies are now dealing with this new reality of um, you know it out there. And well, I think what we're starting to see too is many companies that don't have to comply are starting to comply um, just proactively. Um, I think they're finding it's bringing better talent. It's, mm-hmm. you know, People are appreciating the tra- the transparency, um, and it's it's. I think it's really what's it's becoming much more commonplace. Yeah, yeah. Are you so? Let's let's peel some of that back and be quantified if we can. Not specific numbers, but more you know trends and magnitudes. Um, like, what are you seeing in terms of the volume out there? Because I know you know Squirrel. We can talk more about obviously the the data product you've built, but you're you're out there looking for jobs that have posted comp ranges in it. So you've got to have some telemetry, if you will, around, you know, how many more of these are there out there? So what's your gut about how many more jobs are there, given that it's only a handful of states that are mandating it? But like, you know, is it is it lots of companies? Is it just a few companies that are choosing to post rather than Mm -hmm. are being forced to post? Yeah. And I I think it's forcing the conversation within companies now because there are so many companies that operate in multi-states. There are so mm-hmm. many companies that operate in New York City, that operate in Washington and California that are therefore required to post these ranges if they're hiring in these cities. And so I think what we're starting to see is a lot of those companies that are required to be compliant, they're saying, you know, from an administrative perspective, it's just too much work to only carve this out for these specific locations. With remote work now, if the person can do the job in that uh, in many of those locations, to be compliant, you need to post that pay range for those jobs. I mean, we've seen some companies just flat out say opportunity not eligible or Colorado applicants not eligible or right. you know, so on and so forth. Um, you know, that's that's one approach, but it's it is limiting your talent pool. And I think the companies just have to decide for themselves, is that the right decision? Is that worth it worth it to them? Is you know, showing the ranges tipping their hats too or tipping their hands too much. Um, yeah, but we've seen a number of different things. Now, in terms of have we seen more data coming out? Um, you know, as it becomes more regulated or more uh, more prep, those laws become more prevalent. And there's a number of states that are now kind of posting. Massachusetts, I believe, is the next one that has a uh, legislation uh, that's being reviewed to require job posting or ranges being included in the postings. Uh, I think uh, clearly we are seeing it become much more prevalent. Um, there's actually a study that was done a while back. And I think 
from, I think it was 2019. I may be getting my numbers for the years mixed up on this, but it was saying that in 2019, one in 12 jobs had the pay range posted. Uh, that number is now closer to, you know, one in eight jobs, at least in 2021. Uh, so, you know, that's a 50% increase over the number of jobs that had ranges posted. And as these laws become more prevalent, I think we're going to see those numbers continue to move up. Yeah. Yeah. I know when, when, when Colorado first came out with its, uh, you know, requirements and, and it was, you know, to be honest, a little gamey of companies uh, saying, you know, this job's open to all y'all except if you're in Colorado. Um, so there was a, there was a study posted at the time that said that like the number of postings in Colorado, the number of opportunities in Colorado decreased with mm. transparency, but that got debunked pretty quickly thereafter when the sort of the jolts government reported data showed there was no change in the number of openings right so there's this distinction between i might say that i'm not open to somebody in colorado but at the end of the day i might still be looking for somebody in colorado right sure. like and i think that's the dynamic that might be shifting now. like there was some gamesmanship i like your word acceptance because there was a little bit of gamesmanship around mm -hmm. oh it's just colorado whatever let's just keep them off our backs now you really i mean you're talking about california New York, Washington, like big markets for workforce. Um, it is just getting harder and harder to make sure you're in a good spot with all these different states. And as a result, people understand I can't play games. Like I have to actually do the work <laughs> and make sure yeah. that, you know, I'm being honest with what I'm doing. And it'll be interesting too. And one of the things that is still yet to be seen is Colorado really had no teeth in their legislation. You know, there was there were threats of fines, but I mean, I think the number of fines that have actually been levied you can count on a single hand. Um, now, California, Washington, uh, they have some pretty significant fines if you're not compliant. And you know, I, I don't think we've seen fines being levied quite yet, but uh, they are very discouraging. Uh, yeah. Well, in Colorado, doesn't exactly have a reputation for you know how do I frame like employment law ambulance chasers, um, <laughs> whereas that let's that's a thing in California, right? There are people who are looking for California, mm -hmm. you know, abuses by employers and are more than happy to jump in and take a nice little contingency contingency fee for helping you chase down, you know, malfeasance. So, <clears throat> you know, certainly the ecosystem is ripe for more teeth. Uh, to be in, in play, whether we want it or not. Uh, so yeah, I do think that that's driving a degree of, okay, it's time to get on board uh, and let's, let's think through how we want this to actually work. Um, yeah. I, know, I know I'm seeing, and I'm, I, I'm, I assume you're seeing similarly, you, know, you, you hinted at it. <clears throat> you know, two years ago it was, okay, now what are we going to do in Colorado? Like, mm -hmm. How are we going to post for this place? I am getting a lot more with remoteness being what it is, I just don't know where I'm going to hire this job. So I may as well post a range. Yeah. Um, and it's creating a whole new set of problems where, you know, what ranges <laughs> do we post and we'll, and we'll get down to that. But, you know, I'm, I'm seeing most companies like they're just in the game now. It's not about segmenting certain states. It's we're going to yeah, post our ranges. Absolutely. It's one of the interesting things that, you know, because when we got started, we were really, you know, the idea for Squirrel was really, I wonder if we can do something neat for Colorado. I mean, that was really kind of what we were thinking in our head. Like, that's a, it's an interesting experiment. And as we started to pull the data, we realized that Colorado is one of the smaller markets, believe it or not. Um, so what we were finding was there's not more data in 
states with pay transparency. I mean, there is more data in bigger states with bigger with more jobs, more population. So it that's really what drives the number of job postings with wages uh, listed. In Texas and Florida, one of our biggest you know uh, data sets that we have, and th- neither of those states um, have laws and are not likely to have laws uh, requiring pay transparency. Hmm. That's an interesting observation itself. Um, it's not really the law that derives the volume of postings. It's <clears throat> it's companies are choosing now to post. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, you're seeing more where there are actually jobs to be filled. And that tends to follow population, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah my, my great state here in Illinois might be an interesting one to follow then because it's a topic of interest in the legislature. There's nothing on the books yet. Uh, but, you know, obviously there's lots of jobs here. It's a big population center. It's n- not New York or California, but... You know, yeah. we're up there on the list, and that, that could be an interesting <laughs> tipping point, too. Yeah, no kidding. Interesting. Um, so given the amount of postings out there, I guess, let's talk about what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you and I had engaged in a previous sort of discussion about the width of ranges, maybe even, yeah. uh, you know, some polite disagreement at time uh, around, like, what what's really the right thing? So yeah. I guess yeah. start your spiel here around, like, what are you seeing in terms of the width? Any interesting stories around what people are posting around ranges and we can talk about kind of the implications. Yeah. And that's, this has been one of the things that's been really interesting. And I think I have really adapted my viewpoint from pre, you know, New York to kind of where things are now. And a lot of that has been fostered by, you know, really great discussions with folks like yourself, but also with folks on the world at work forums. Um, who bring a really tremendous number of kind of well thought through opinions from practitioners. And so what, what we have seen is there are really four different uh, approaches to managing and posting ranges. And those include posting a single target range. We are going to hire someone at $15 an hour. There's no two, there's no from it. It's $15 an hour. That is what that job pays. Uh, the others would include a subset of the range, which may be, uh, what we have budgeted for that range, it may be 5% outside of the midpoints. It may be you know, from the lowest paid person, to the highest paid person in that role. There's a lot of different ways that we, one can do that. The third way is to just post your internal range. And the fourth way is to post a very wide range, um, which may or may not be reflective of uh, the actual job itself, uh, which gives companies the ability to really you know, bring on folks above or below kind of the 10th percentile or the 90th percentile, uh, even if their ranges don't do that. So it allows for opportunistic hires more effectively. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting things that we have seen is at least in our data, we are seeing a large number of folks that are posting a single rate of pay. Um, That's, that's one of the most common approaches. And our understanding is that's, we really kind of expected that to be true for hourly lower paid roles. There are hourly non-professional roles. Uh, but surprisingly, we actually saw that the percent of jobs posted with the single rate of pay was fairly consistent up to you know $150,000 a year. Hmm. And you know, we have a couple of beliefs for that. Um, and you know, really, I think the, the working thesis is that um, there are different reasons to pay or to kind of have a set target rate um, at all different rates of pay. One is, you know, you don't have a lot of differentiation with those $15 an hour roles. Uh, when you're at $150,000 a year role, you're trying to manage and control your budget. Uh, or you're kind of saying, this is you know, what we have set aside for this role. Uh, and that's really kind of where our working thesis for why we're seeing kind of a fairly consistent 
uh, distribution of you know single rates of pay across the different um, hmm. wage 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 categories. It's interesting. It, it it's actually a, a fascinating hedge against one of the problems I think companies are starting to see. Um, I won't name the company for obvious reasons as I tell the story, but you know a company that has lots of applicants, so a high volume hire who's posting a range. Um, that range actually happens to not be of similar width or size by job. They are taking, I think it was your sec- one of your two middle options, which is the lowest to the highest paid person in that job is how they're posting it. So sometimes it's a pretty tight range, sometimes it's a pretty wide range. Mm-hmm. So the kind of a natural experiment here around different jobs being posted with different widths of range. But they are seeing, unfortunately, quite consistently, demographic characteristics of applicants being predictive of what they are saying in their application is their desired salary within that range. And Hmm. perhaps not a big surprise to many because it it follows the popular thinking. If you are a white male, you are far more likely to say, I expect a a rate of pay at the top end of that posted range. And if you are a non-white, non-male, you are more likely to put your salary expectations in at the bottom end of the range. Um, so I, I was at a long discussion with a very smart comp leader about, well, what do I do about that? <laughs> right. Cause now it's feeling like this is having the opposite effect that it's supposed to have around equality. Cause now I'm, I'm seeing candidates are raising their hands with different expectations within that rate, within that range that I'm not sure I'm ready to do. And one of the solutions we kind of came across is what if you just post a number, <laughs> then you sure. eliminate that bias altogether. Um, so it is an interesting concept that really drives towards the pay equity objectives mm-hmm. that I think these transparency initiatives are really supposed to be after. Um, obviously, there's other consequences about your flexibility uh, and your market responsiveness, but it's it definitely solves a known problem. Um, and so it doesn't shock me that it's out there. I guess I'd, I would not have expected it to be as prevalent as what you're seeing, but uh, yeah, you know, it's progressive, I think. Yeah, and, you know, and what will be interesting, I think, too, is how does that fit in with both the spirit and the letter of the law? Because a single dollar amount is not a range. Uh, I mean, and so, you know, I, I don't know that people, you know, I'm not going to speculate on the legalities of posting a single range, but it is outside of kind of what the laws have specified. Though I think the laws have been fairly intentionally ambiguous in terms of what does reasonable mean? Um, you know, there are companies that will post that single range. And then there are other companies that will have ranges that are, you know, between, you know, for, I can, I, this is publicly out there. So we can say Netflix, um, you know, they have a different approach where they will take a, I was looking at their site today. They have a administrative assistant role that starts off at 65,000 and goes up to $320,000. Um, but all companies have different approaches to their pay structures, their comp philosophies, and, you know, it, that actually may, though it may ostensibly not feel like it, the the workings behind the curtain, they that's not a company that is not staff full of very smart people. Um, there are there is a logical decision behind that that supports the compensation philosophy and the culture. Um, so, I, you know, I've found that to be very interesting to see where you go from a very small range, if not, if not a range at all, to a incredibly wide range. Hmm. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, and I'm not a I'm not a, a legislative expert, that's for sure, but you know, the the drafting of legislation always come from people with a perspective. And, you know, <laughs> certainly, you know, government agencies, you know, have pay ranges. And I think we as HR practitioners and as comp practitioners have talked about 
pay ranges for decades. Uh, so maybe, you know, the reason that the laws are written around range is because we've kind of just told everyone that that's the way that pay gets managed. But, you know, <laughs> perhaps that's not the only way, right? Having a number, there's some logic to that. I know some of the work you've done around geographic differentials and things like that, like, <clears throat> you've also advocated to an extent for like, have a number for the core of the job. And then other things can flavor how much you pay beyond that. You know, so there's some there's some good logic behind. You don't always need a range. There's consequences, but there's you know there are examples where it's more sensible than it sounds. And you know, whether the, I think the spirit of the law still is be transparent about what the job pays. And if a sure. single number is what you expect, then I I can't imagine you know New York's going to be upset that you were honest about what you actually expect to pay. Yeah, and I think that you know. We'll let the courts figure out what good faith means, but I do think that you know, for the reasonable person, if it's you know, up and above and around, but you know, generally speaking, close to those published numbers, I would expect that most folks are going to be just fine. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it does. the the the, the approach to what you post, um, and this is one of the debates we've had in the past, right? Like mm-hmm. talent acquisition, right? A posting is all about filling a job and finding a candidate, right? And that's a, that's a marketplace. <laughs> so there needs to be a buyer and a seller. And, you know, it's really a question of when does price become part of the discussion, right? When I go to the supermarket, <laughs> when I'm shopping for gas, I see the prices, right? The seller has put the price out there first. And then I make my choice based on what I care about to meet them where they're at, right? I buy the good I want. I go to the gas station I want. Um, in the past employment markets have kind of worked differently where the candidate moves first, right? They put their expectations out there or uh, our recruiters asking the job. <clears throat> this is switching that to an extent. Now we're pushing the number out first, but there's still the transaction that has to occur. The posted range isn't the final offer. Uh, maybe right. if it's a single number, it might be closer to that, but a range is still an expectation setter. Um, you know, so one of, the, one of the things that I know my clients are thinking about is, well, how does this range that we post both comply with the law kind of intellectually and and social good wise sort of comply with what we're trying to accomplish, but also not put us in a spot that now there's not a, an opportunity for the right negotiation to occur. Sure. Um, So I guess I get, you know, what are you seeing there? You know, what, how has your perspective evolved on, you know, what is the right thing? You know, if you've got a range, do you just post the range? Um, Is there a, a better practice that you're seeing? You know, uh, my initial thought when the laws came out was if you post the whole range, you are being literally as transparent as you could be. Um, you are, you're showing that these are our cards. And if you have a well-managed comp program that's equitable and you know, driven by market data and you have an educated workforce, which is hard. I mean, it lets that, that takes a lot a of lot effort. Of a lot there. of <laughs> <laughs> Um, then we can post those ranges and not worry about, you know, folks thinking that their uh, internal candidates being upset that they're at the lower end of the range because they'll understand the comp philosophy and why they are in the range and how to move up within the range. And then candidates may expect the higher end of the range, but that can easily be managed with conversations from the TA team. There's actually there was actually a study that was done that kind of by HR drive that said about seven out of 10 candidates would demand the higher end of the salary range if it was posted. And, you know, my initial thought was, well, we can just explain that um, during the hiring process. But I think at a certain point, um, some of the 
some of the contradictory or the um, converse angle to that discussion was it's not setting the right expectations and it's leading to poor candidate and employee experiences. Right. And I think that there's a lot of validity to that. And if we, and again, it's going back to just because the range is posted doesn't mean that is what you are bound to hire within. Um, all you have to do is make a good faith effort that this is what the hiring range is going to be. Um, and if you do find the right person that's outside of those ranges, you could bring them on, you know, above or below, depending on kind of what that person, uh, you know, where they fit within your comp philosophy and the pay range. Um, so I think for myself personally, I've actually kind of moved back to- towards that subset of the range to give candidates a reasonable expectation of what they may expect. And there can still be the negotiation. There can still be the discussion around what is a fair rate of pay. But I think mm-hmm. setting expectations with a subset probably actually uh, helps the candidate experience, the current employee experience. And it can also be really effective in managing internal equity uh, because mm-hmm. then you can post your ranges with that in mind. Yeah, it's a good point. I think, um, you know, <clears throat> the the ranges that we've all been building for as long as our careers have been we're not built with the mindset that they're going to be posted. That doesn't mean that our work was bad. It just means <laughs> that it was built with that as an assumption. And I think about mm-hmm. even the structures I've built myself as a practitioner, we would then educate leaders around, well, what does it mean to be in the bottom of the range? What does it mean to be in the top of the right. range? You know, depending on the situation and how we constructed those ranges, we might even say, what does it mean to be below the range or above the range and being okay with that? Just again, it depends on your, mm-hmm. your strategy there. So, Let's just presume for a second, true example from one of my three kind of practitioner stops. Like we said, look, if you're new in role, we expect you to be in the bottom third of the range. Yeah. Well, in that sense, posting the bottom third of the range is a very sensible, very honest reflection of what we would expect to hire at. Um, posting the whole range kind of sets yourself up for a bad experience because they're seeing, oh, wait, 60 to 80. Awesome. I can make 80 grand. Well, no, we're really only going to offer between 60 and 68 because that's where right. we expect to pay someone new in job. So it's like, it's a subset isn't meant to be arbitrary, I guess, is the argument I'm trying to make. Sometimes there's that is a known, you know, focal point within the range, given how you think about what that range is meant to be in the first place. And it doesn't mean you're not competitive. It just means here's what we're targeting sure. and this is what we expect somebody new enroll to be paid. Yeah. Yeah. And the only the the only the 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 big Achilles tendon that I see to that is really just the, you know, if you, so someone may be new to role, but they may not be new to industry or they may bring a ton of experience. Uh, you know, when I was in the gaming industry, we would bring over, you know, developers and game engineers from other gaming companies that we brought them on. And oftentimes at a rate greater than our existing employees, because they were coming from, you know, with a significant background that was very project specific or studio specific that only they would be able to kind of have that knowledge and that background with the expectation they were going to quickly come in and make a material impact to the business and the projects. Um, and so that's, that's, I think one of the challenges to, you know, saying that we're someone new in role versus kind of new, uh, new to field, yep. I guess. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair pushback. Right. That's where it all comes down to like, what is, what are you trying to accomplish? And as a result, yeah, exactly. what's a reasonable view of, you know, if you tend to upgrade or over, you know, I shouldn't say overskill, but upskill roles when you yeah. fill them, well, then you, you're not going to want to post a very narrow number. <laughs> it's got to be right. more realistic that that's likely to occur within the, you know, within the hiring process. Yeah. Interesting. So then, I guess, given the variance 
of what's likely to be posted, right? Netflix posting 60 to 320, I think you said, for one job. Mm -hmm. Other companies posting a single number. Other organizations posting maybe the lowest third of their range because that's what they expect. I mean, the number of strategies is is variant. Mm -hmm. Um, So how how do you advise companies to think about using that data? And this is core to kind of the business you're building. Yeah. You know, what does that mean? Given that it's, I don't want to say it's messy, it's it's real, but how do you understand that variance and how do you use that then to understand or should you use that to understand, you know, what's going on in the market? How, how would you tell the story about what does this do within the mix of how you view market rates of pay? Yeah, and, and this is really kind of a question that we've seen happening a lot. There's been a lot of questions around what kind of ranges should we post? You know, where should we post the ranges? What ranges should we post? Um, you know, and so we've actually created some reports and kind of, I've done some, you know, ind- independent research on what our company is posting because this is a question that comes up often. And so actually what we're finding is that if you remove the companies that are just posting a single rate of pay, what we're finding is on average, the range spread across all of our jobs. And just keep in mind too, a lot of our jobs uh, just because there are more lower paid jobs that are out there. Uh, we're seeing about a 27 to 28% range spread from top to from offer to the max. Um, so just keeping that in line is kind of here's what generally speaking people are doing. Uh, it's about 28% or so. Um, that's what we're seeing in terms of typical wits, right? Other than the single uh, items, which makes perfect sense. You know, 28%. I'm going to make up some rules, right? Like that's basically midpoint plus or minus 10 or 15%, um, right? By and large, some companies being smaller, some being greater. Mm -hmm. That's not all that dissimilar than somebody might build a greater round. Mm -hmm. Um, So I could could make an assumption. I don't know if this is what you're seeing, but what we're actually getting is decent visibility into somebody's structure, which may or may not reflect what people are being paid in that job today, right? Right. Because not every company pays everybody exactly in the middle of their range. Um, in fact, most companies don't. They're always kind of, there's a distribution about it. So we're getting visibility into how does a company want to pay, not mm-hmm. necessarily how much do they pay. So then exactly. the question is, how do you internalize that? Like, how do I learn from that as a as an organization? Should yeah. I inform that? Like, I would take a market data point. Should I think of it differently? You know, how do you advise customers to use the data within their view of the market? Well, yeah, that, that, Thank you, thank you for bringing me back on track. <laughs> this is <laughs> what I no, do, man. <laughs> no, and I think this is really kind of one of the most important things to consider when you're looking at the kind of data like ours, whether or not you're pulling it from Indeed or other job boards yourself versus uh, if you have access to our Squirrel tool. Um, but what we say is Squirrel is not designed to replace a salary survey. It's designed to complement them because a salary survey it's going to look at see what people are actually being paid. It looks back in time, at least 90 days. Um, what our system is looking at is what are companies willing to pay today? So we're looking kind of more to today and into the future. Uh, so if you can take those two things in conjunction, what companies are actually paying and what they're willing to pay, it's a really fantastic way to kind of triangulate what is it to be market competitive. Um, it's also a really fantastic indicator for compression, uh, for potential retention and attrition issues that you may have with certain jobs. 
Uh, a really good example that I just like to pick on is, you know, the barista job. It's a fairly standard diet, standard job. There's not a lot of variation in what that job title is. Uh, but we can actually track and see historical wage growth of baristas around the U.S. that far exceed what we were have seen in any salary surveys that's moving up uh, and what we've seen kind of even in the uh, wage increases from kind of the the Atlanta Fed or the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics or elsewhere, uh, we can see that those things have moved very quickly. But what I always like to say to folks is just because the ranges have moved more quickly, the hiring has moved more quickly, that doesn't mean that people are being paid more. It's very easy to increase the hiring rate for a single job versus elevating the pay of an entire department or entire function. One of those has a very small cost compared to it. One of those that has a very large cost. Uh, so I think that if you take the squirrel data or the job posting data, it's really acting as kind of the leading indicator for what we're going to see in the market. And if you can calibrate that with what's actually happening through um, how people are being paid from your traditional surveys, it gives you a much better opportunity to be more competitive. Hmm. Yeah, I think the other, um, you know, I, I riled up a whole bunch of people at a World at Work conference several years ago when you know, comp consultants, comp practitioners love to trash self-reported salary, <laughs> uh, right? And and I, I refuse to from the standpoint that, remember, that's the data that your employees have access to. Every time I log into Glassdoor, it tells me yeah. what I'm worth, right? It may be garbage. I agree. <laughs> but it shapes my expectations, right? Sure. And same thing with the posting. If I'm out looking at jobs and I see that a barista job is you know, whatever, make up numbers, you know better than me, but you know, 16 to $20 an hour and I'm only making 15, I'm, a, I'm not happy because I yeah. feel like I am paid inappropriately, even if $15 an hour <laughs> is more than most baristas, right? So it's right. an expectation setter because everybody has access to it. Not everybody has access to that survey that you, know, that you pay a bunch of money to subscribe to. So it's, you can't ignore it because it shapes how people interpret the market. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, a candidate knows more about the posting than they do about the survey. So you can't ignore sure. it. You have to be aware of all the information that influences that market transaction decision ultimately, which is, am I going to look for another job, take a job, yeah. quit a job? It's informed by that information. So, you know, I put it not in the same bucket. It's different. It's like a new category, but it, it does shape expectations. And because it's available and you know can be found like right. by tools like squirrel you can track it and understand it and use it differently uh, perhaps yeah. but you can't ignore it ignoring it's not an option it's just a question of how do you it, use it yeah it's true and you know it, it's it's interesting too because you know i i have as a comp practitioner you know really wanted to use the most legitimate survey sources that were available to us i mean we would use you know, employer reported, you know, follows all the safe harbor guidelines, that information. So when we got started with Squirrel, we had pretty low expectations of it. What we found is that one of the really nice benefits to this kind of data set is the volume of that. And so we've got, I think it's over 18 million job postings now from the US, Canada, and the UK. And what we can do with that information that's really interesting is kind of, I can do a search for, you know, a software engineer. And I can filter on the years of experience. And what we've actually found is that our data is typically going to be a little bit higher than what you mm -hmm. might find in your traditional survey, but as I would expect it to be. Because again, it's that leading indicator for the, uh, what's happening in the market today. Um, and even the, one of the biggest pushbacks we get is, well, there's not a validation process behind it. 
there's not, you know, it's how do we know that this is what people are actually paying? Um, and I can say that we've done a lot of analysis on that data and actually found that just because of the volume of that, we don't find it materially impacts the 10th, 25th, 50th, 75th, 90th percentile when you've got a handful of data points that might be kind of invalid. Um, which yeah, sure. We, I mean, I, I ran a survey when I worked at one of the big houses that everybody trusts for surveys. And I could, yeah, there's a validation process, but we are, we are lying to ourselves if we think that surveys are perfect. Like there is still, <laughs> there are humans, some case there are humans that have about three months of work experience, no offense, but like, how do we know that they aren't biasing the data in some way? How do we know that the matching process is perfect? How do we know that they pulled that number correctly? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I saw a lot of trash come in that we try to catch, and, you know, the robots are getting better at catching the trash over and over again. But it, even when you caught it, it still just, you know, worked on the margin. It didn't fundamentally change the outcomes of the data. So yeah. same thing. You get a big enough data set, and some of the noise does, you know, sift away, and no data source is perfect. It's more understanding the biases and the errors that are going to be present. Just sure. know that, right? Like just, you know, we said earlier, it's, it's showing the range, you know, is really what the posting is a better indicator of, not what people are being paid. Well, it may just be true that in general, the aggregate comp ratio of the U.S. is under one. Like, that's possible, <laughs> yeah. in which case these data points are fully in sync. Uh, well, it's just impossible to know the answer to that. Yeah, and, and what's really fun about our, the, the data, and I think that, I mean, this is true, with any of this publicly available data. If you are Walmart and you want to make sure that you're competitively paying your store managers in line with Target, you can do that now. I mean, you can act, you can track to see what is Target paying their store managers in this city and we can you know make sure that we're paying competitively there. I have uh, you know again I'm not going down that legal analysis path in terms of safe harbor guidelines, but you know the uh, there the Department of Justice has issued some statements around rescinding some of the safe harbor guidelines uh, protections for salary surveys. Well, safe harbor antitrust in general, which salary surveys are covered under, which I think could have some potential impact to how salary surveys are managed in the future. Um, so we find that using that public data kind of helps to really avoid a lot of the challenges that we've seen with uh, that kind of data. Yeah, and to, and to be clear, because I know you and I have weighed in on this debate yeah. publicly, <laughs> we, we're not saying stop buying your survey data. No, It's no. more the, the practices underneath salary surveys are under question, and there have been some you know, less intellectually honest approaches to anonymity and things mm -hmm. like that. Not, not from a major survey house. We're talking about no. sort of niche players. But you know, we have to watch where the regulation goes here. You know, the spotlight is definitely on what is an appropriate way to learn from the labor market. Yes. And it may not be, you know, what we thought it was before. And, you know, a public a public available data point is not an anti-competitive an anti behavior. Mm. Uh, you know, get, people have been posting gas prices for years. That's not <laughs> illegal <laughs> to share your price point. That's normal. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's, but it is illegal to go across the street and say charge less or let's all agree to yeah. charge more. Um, you know, same thing is true here. So, yeah. well, I want to, I want to be uh, careful on time, but let's, uh, you know, we talked about squirrel a lot. Um, and let's be honest, that is not the most traditional approach to sort of naming <laughs> a product, especially coming from a company who builds a compensation tool and calls it a compensation <laughs> tool. 
right? So you can see where we got some branding help. (laughs) That's right. So like the, you know, you went from uh, let's, let's be, it's extraordinarily literal to let's be completely non-literal, which is, which is fine to each their own, but like, Give us the story, right? There's either there's a lot of tequila behind this, or there's a really like clever brand pull around so, squirrel. So, where did the heck did squirrel come from? Yeah, so I mean, it was not my idea. I, I mean, I, I called it initially. My name for it was Market Insights. Again, going down that very literal Pretty darn path. Literal. Yeah. So you know, uh, we we talked to uh, someone who does a good bit of branding and we kind of told him what the product was and um, explained it to him. And he said, okay, I'm going to come back next week and I'm going to tell you what I think. So we get back on the call and he says, he says, okay, you guys ready? We're ready. He said, you're calling it squirrel. Like what? He said, Justin, what does a squirrel do? I said, why? He said, I'll tell you what they do. Squirrels go from tree to tree and they get all the good nuts and they put them in one spot, right? He said, what do you guys do? And I said, we, he said, I'll tell you what you do. You go to all the different job boards and you collect all the good job postings and you put them in one place. That's what a squirrel does. You guys are squirrels. You're calling it squirrel. And this, this happened to be one of the people that was on the team that came up with Got Milk. I'm not going to argue with him. <laughs> so the product is called Squirrel. <laughs> I feel like I... This is where I wish Brian Briscoe was on this podcast with us today because I feel like there's movie scenes that are this, like this crazy eccentric creative brain comes in and says the thing that you're like, what in the world are you talking about? But you're like, that's genius. Like, to, oh, Elf has a scene, right? Where the, the author like is coming up with these bizarre ideas. And they're like, yeah, that's gold. That's gold. <laughs> You're calling it squirrel, and and you, hey, but you stuck with it. it it's certainly sticky, right? It's something that uh, doesn't get lost in the brain. <laughs> no, it's been, and, and it's funny because there are people have preconceived notions of whether or not they like squirrels or not. So sometimes we'll get, they're like, oh, I love it, and they're like, you know what? There was a squirrel on my porch this morning, and it like <laughs> just <laughs> some people love it or hate it. So. <laughs> Totally. I, uh, I got attacked by like a swarm of squirrels in college. So I do have like a scarred side of me around, (laughs) around squirrels. And I played in a band once called the stone squirrels, which I probably shouldn't say that publicly, but you know, you know, (laughs) again, so everybody's got a history with squirrels. (laughs) Yeah. You can't get away from them. Well, I just had to know because I'm like, well, comp tool squirrel, like one of these does not belong in the, in the boat with the other. No, um, no. Well, that's and, funny. And we, I love it. We've got another one, co- another product coming out in, uh, in a few months that will uh, we'll let you know that that name will be somewhere in the middle between the two. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We'll see the evolution of brand decisions by Comp Tool over time. I love it. I, hey, why not? Right? Uh, you know, one of the values for Novo Insights is you know smile a little bit. It's okay to to not be serious all the time, and it's you know Squirrel's got a nice levity to it. Right? It's it's a little bit more. Let's just realize that it, it's not about the name. It's about what it does. And it's okay if there's a story behind it. Exactly. That's uh, great. I love it. <clears throat> well, if, uh, if a listener wants to find out more about you, or certainly if they want to get involved uh, with Squirrel, and I know you've got uh, a good offer out there for Squirrel, I guess where would you tell someone to go uh, to get connected? Yeah. So, um, you know, I am very active on LinkedIn. So you can always find me on LinkedIn. 
Um, Justin Hampton uh, is my name and it's linkedin.com slash in slash Justin dash Hampton. Uh, so I'm accessible there, uh, or you can go to our website. Our website is at comptool.com. Uh, and there is a link to scroll right in that first page, but we also have comp tool, which is kind of our, our market pricing and salary aggregator, uh, tool. And, uh, you know, we're always happy to talk to folks and, uh, you know, kind of show them what we've put together and see if it might be a good fit for them. Yeah, and I'll I'll do the I'll do the plug for you. There is an opportunity to engage in Squirrel at a very attractive uh, point. So if you just want to test out and sort of see what's there, um, there's some stuff out there that makes it pretty easy for folks to get involved. Yeah, there is a freemium tool to give it a shot. Um, and our single user licenses are you know we try our goal is to be less expensive than pretty much any survey out there. Um, so we've we keep our pricing low. Um, and it's almost probably more data than most uh, places you could get any kind of data. So it's, it's been fun. Yeah. There's no excuse for a comp practitioner to not be aware of what's out there. Cause there is a way to engage with it for free and <clears throat> free is a good word uh, for anybody in these resource constrained <laughs> days. So nothing wrong with that. Um, well, thanks Justin. Uh, you know, we, we talk regularly, but it's always fun to do a more extended conversation with you. Uh, thanks for your time. And I, I'm sure that uh, listeners here have appreciated your insights. So thank you once again for coming on. Yeah, I know. Likewise, Paul, it's always fun to, always fun to uh, talk with you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Justin. All right. Thanks, Paul. Take care. So there you have it, a glimpse into the world of job posting transparency with Justin Hampton, uh, founder and CEO of Compensation Tool. I hope you found this episode helpful. I know I enjoyed speaking with Justin. And it's such an evolving landscape to understand how transparency is working um, and what do we need to be doing today to comply. In a couple of weeks, we'll do the third part of this three-part series, uh, where I'll be back on with uh, frequent collaborator Brian Briscoe. We're going to do a little bit of futurism. This is not something I do frequently, uh, in part because it's so hard to really know what's going to happen. <laughs> if I could predict the future, I probably wouldn't be doing this uh, for a living. But I do think that it's important around pay transparency for us to step back and think about what are we trying to accomplish or what are these rules, regulations, market practices trying to accomplish? And what does the evidence suggest, you know, in the past that informs how this impact might be realized? Are we going to see the things that we think we're going to see or not? So we're going to spend some time focusing on what might happen, what might come in this world of pay transparency? What impact might it have on wages, on equality, on competitiveness in the market, on candidate experience, et cetera? So I look forward uh, to that conversation here in a couple of weeks. If you don't want to miss that episode, you might want to go onto your podcast platform and click subscribe. That way you'll automatically be notified uh, when new episodes are released, including that next conversation with Brian. If you find this helpful, if you find this insightful, um, do us a favor, share it with a peer, share it with a colleague someone in your network, uh, anybody whoever shares uh, our LinkedIn posts related to these episodes, get some free swag. We reach out to you uh, and find a coffee mug or a t-shirt to show off your HR, uh, your HR persona to the world. So please uh, do us a favor and uh, share us with others. You can also do us a favor by hitting like uh, in your podcast delivery platform as that helps the robots surface our content to others like you. We greatly appreciate it. Until next time, uh, thank you for listening. Again, this is Paul Ryman, uh, the founder and managing partner of Novo Insights. 
Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in a few weeks. 